You are listening to a message from Southwood Presbyterian Church in Huntsville, Alabama. Our passion is to experience and express grace. Join us. Open your Bibles, if you will, or if you don't have one, in one form or another. Um, Yes, you may pull out your phones and turn them on, if there's a Bible on there. (laughs) Romans chapter 12. You'll see there, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew pockets in front of you, and you can turn to page 948. We're going to be looking at just a couple of verses. I'm going to read from Romans 12, verses 9 through 10, and then verse 15, which will be the primary focus of our time together. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And then verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let's pray together as we enter into the study of God's word. Father, would you meet us and speak to us through your word? Speak into our hearts so that we might see the glory of your face. And that we might be filled with the hope of your coming. Come and meet us in that place where we are today. And make yourself known. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in this series through the summer of one another. Uh, talking about gospel community. And as Will began last week, the core of all of this is that we love one another. This is the one primary quality that distinguishes us from everybody else in the world. It's not the crosses we wear around our necks. It's not the bumper stickers on our car. It's not the causes that we are so passionate about. It is the way we love one another. That's how the world will know that Jesus is in our midst. And so we see here this text, what Paul is doing in Romans is, start, is unpacking that. We have to see it in context, though. What Paul has done from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11 is to lay out for us this glorious picture of what Christ has done, all that he has done for us, who we are in him, and the hope we have in Christ. And then you get to chapter 12, and there's this word, therefore, which calls our attention back to all that's just been said, And then we are called there to present our bodies as living sacrifices. That we, I mean, simply put, we are to, in response to all that Jesus is, lay down our lives. Not just for God himself, but to lay our lives down for one another. A few verses passed in verse 5, he says, we are members of one another. We do not live in just proximity with other individuals. 
We are not to live in isolation. God has made us into a body, a family that is intricately, deeply united to one another. That's who we are. And that is why love, as he says here in verses 9 and 10, is key. It is primary. We cannot minimize it. We cannot do without it. Love is everything in gospel community. But what does that love look like? And from verse 9 down through really the end of the chapter, Paul is describing for us, he's unpacking this whole concept of what it means to love one another. And in the midst of that unpacking, we have this verse. It says, to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And it's... It's very easy for us as we read through Paul. We could read through that and says, oh, okay, yeah, understand it. Over and done. We, we just kind of blow past it. But in this short little verse, Paul is saying a lot. And I want us to unpack that together this morning. The first thing he's telling us here in this verse is he's telling us a lot about what life is. And life is a mixed bag. There's rejoicing. There's weeping. Life has its share, a wonderful share of joys and blessings and pleasures. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 7 says, Go, eat your bread with joy. And drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. When we enjoy the pleasures of this life, God approves. In fact, more than that, he's the one that has poured them out for us. And what Paul's doing, he's combating an error here that was very common then, but I also think it's very present among us that there's something less, there's something inferior about what is material, what is physical, what we experience in this life. It's, there's, there's something that we're not supposed to enjoy it too much. That's just not spiritual. Well, Yes, what we experience is broken and corrupt. It has not, it does not have the power to satisfy us. And it can be abused. We should not put our hopes there. But they are good. All things in God's creation are good because he declared them to be good. And so we can rejoice in these good things. One of my great pleasures is just sitting out on my patio with my bride of 37 years and enjoying an evening. I love the smell of burning fat. 
I love perfectly steeped tea. Or fresh bread out of the oven. You kind of get a theme here. A lot of my pleasures are things that I intake. I can listen to harmonies and music that when they're perfectly together, it brings tears to my eyes. In all of these things, we are to see them as gifts of God. To give thanks for them. To enjoy them. Don't minimize them. Enjoy them because God is showing his goodness to us. That's one side. There's another side. Life is hard. There is this erroneous, equally erroneous view that these pleasures are the norm. This is the way life should be. And when it's not, we get frustrated, we can be shaken, we might even get angry. As much pleasures we can experience in this life, this life, this world, and all that is in it is deeply broken the pleasures of God that's not what is normal we live in a world of cancer of divorce of little boys dying it's a world that leaves us empty and in many ways it fights against us I feel like I'm constantly at war with my body and my yard. I can make my yard look really good for a couple minutes. And then it says to me, wait to see what's coming. Because of sin, the world is cursed. Every last millimeter of it. Nothing has escaped. It is not the way it should be. It's not the way it was. It is not the way it will be. But in this between time, what we will experience in this life is pain and hardship and trouble. Am I just being too negative? I'm actually trying to save you from deep disappointment when it does not turn out the way you think it should. It's normal. Again, from Ecclesiastes 1.13, he writes, It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's talking about life. This is the norm. So too many of us just go through life with the idea that things are just supposed to work out. Pain and suffering are the exception. And I think where a lot of this idea comes from is that we 
think we have become so technologically and scientifically advanced that we can actually put an end to the trouble and the hardship and pain. But all we can do is as we maybe solve one issue, we create five more. We still die. We all will. We will all hurt. We can't escape it. We live in a world that's so full of hardship, disappointment, and tragedy, and no amount of scientific or technological advance can do anything about it. Not until the day that Jesus comes and makes all things new. That said, Paul now comes and charges the hearers of this letter with how do you love in a world like this? How do you love? I mean, in this world where, as one pastor told me, seven out of ten people that you look at will be suffering and the other three will be. How do you love others in that kind of world? Well, he said, it's very simple. You rejoice with those who are rejoicing and you weep with those who weep. Why do we need to be commanded to rejoice with those who rejoice? Because it's an act of faith. Let me, let me illustrate why faith is required for us to rejoice with our brothers and sisters when they are experiencing God's gifts. During the uh, early years of our caregiving with my mother-in-law, I, we were in Atlanta and I had a, a good, one of my best friends was also in a caregiving stage with his father. His father was a whole lot more difficult. He was, they'd try to put him in an assisted living home or a nursing home and he'd get kicked out because he was so abusive. And my friend was an only child, so the weight of all of that was on him. And so we would get together and talk about the gospel to one another in the midst of these struggles. Well, after a couple of years of this, his father died. And my friend inherited a pretty sweet inheritance from me because he was the only child. And so with that, he sold his house, the house, you know, a very simple house that he'd been living in, bought a lake house and a boat. And then on Facebook, I kept seeing day after day after day pictures of the boat and the new kitchen and the lake house. Now, was that easy for me to rejoice with him? <laughs> you know what I did? I quit following him on Facebook. Because I wasn't there. 
I was still caregiving. I was not going to come into a nice inheritance. There will be, would be, no lake house or boat. And I struggled. When our brothers and sisters enter into those good gifts, those pleasures that God gives, most of us are not going to be in that state. We're going to be on the other side. We are still in the normal life where it hurts, where there's toil and hardship and envy can make it extremely difficult for us to rejoice when others are experiencing these blessings. I mean, how can I rejoice in this couple's pregnancy when me and my wife can't get there? How can I rejoice in this couple's anniversary when I'm living in this big alone called divorce? How can I rejoice when they are laughing and celebrating and I have trouble holding back the tears. The love we are required, called to by God through Paul here, is that we get outside of our self-focused, self-centered look at life in our neediness and enter into those that I am a member with. To enter into that joy and celebration. I am to celebrate with them. And why is that so important? Because when we join in the celebration of someone else, we intensify it. It's not the same when we celebrate alone. I'm close, very close, to meeting my 10th grandchild, Nora. You've probably heard about her. Well, you will. You know, it's because when I'm happy about the birth of Nora, it's not the same if I'm doing it in isolation. Why do we have parties at special occasions? Why do weddings have all these guests to come? It is because it's the gathering, it's the body and the fellowship that makes the celebration so much richer and fuller. And so to help and to, to love we enter into that celebration with our brothers and sisters. Our participation enhances those pleasures for them. And this is why Paul calls it a living sacrifice. In our living, we lay aside the attention and the help 
that we want. We lay aside this sense of neediness and we rejoice that these, our brothers and sisters at this moment, aren't there. Then in the same way, when the normalcy of life continues or crashes in, we need to be there ready to not just enter into their celebration but we enter into their pain their weeping their hardship their toil their discouragement and this calls us to identify to identify with our brothers and sisters in their pain we are not called to stop their weeping. We are not called to fix their problem. We are called to enter into the, to their pain to the point that we feel it as acutely as if it were our own. There's too many of us I think you're in the habit of when we try to help those who are suffering, we do it from a distance. We do, like I call, we lob these comfort grenades from a distance. Words of wisdom, theological, philosophical truths. We kind of lob them in there that don't do anything to actually help. We need to quit telling people when they go through hardship that God is sovereign. He is, but it doesn't help. They don't need these truths. They don't need this, these ideas. They don't need understanding. They need somebody. They don't need somebody to explain to them that God has a purpose. Or that this awful thing that has happened to them is somehow good. Cancer is not good. It never has been. It never will be. Death of a child is never good. Betrayal of a spouse is never good. It is far too normal in this world, this cursed world that we live in. And God does not promise that things are going to turn around and be good in this life. Yes, he does in some mysterious way. When it's all said and done, he can take those things and redeem them and do good things for us. But those things in themselves are not good. When we weep over a cancer diagnosis, so does he. Because it's not the way things are supposed to be. It's not the way he meant it.
Don't stay away because you're afraid of saying the wrong things. Go and say nothing at all. Let your tears do the speaking. Your words are not needed. Your ears and your arms are. Love calls us to weep. And maybe just weep. Love calls us to enter in and identify so much that we are willing to learn just how deeply others hurt. So much so that we feel it as if it's our own. And it's actually in the sharing of the pain. When you come alongside someone, you share it. That's where comfort really comes from. Because somebody knows. Somebody's willing to be there. Somebody's willing just to wrap their arms around you. They're willing to believe the promises of God that you are struggling to believe. But they're going to do it for you. And they're going to hold you up. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. When we are suffering, we just need somebody to hold us up to the one who can make all things new. So how are we supposed to love like this? Well, humanly, it is impossible. But Paul gives us these wonderful little, this wonderful little phrase way back up in Romans 12, verse 1. And it's key to all the rest. He says, therefore, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. That is how we love. That is where the ability to step outside of ourselves comes from. Because we have experienced mercy from the one who made all things, who entered into our own lives, our world, and made our lives as if it was his. God himself, and this is what we see Paul talking about all back through Romans. God himself came. He entered into our cursed life. In his baptism, it was pictured of how he took that all on himself. He suffered our pain. He took upon himself our disease, all our brokenness. And when we hurt, he wept. But he did more than that. He identified with us so clearly and deeply that our sin, our death, that we should have died, he made his own. He died for us. 
Look at these words from Romans chapter 12, chapter 6, excuse me. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. He came, died. But there's a flip side. (laughs) He was raised into newness of life. And because we are so deeply identified with him, we will know that life as well that is free from the brokenness, from the curse, from the disease, the hardship, and the toil. It is free, made new in Christ. That's what the mercies of God gives us. We remember back to what he's done. But because he was raised, we can now look forward to what is coming. He is making all things new. And so in our rejoicing and in our weeping, our calling is to enter into the lives of our brothers and sisters that we never let them forget the mercies of God we have already seen and the ones that are still to come. So that as we deal with the normal life, we can do so with hope. Let's pray. Father, help us to remember We do struggle. We hurt. We don't like to think about it. But Father, help us to remember Jesus. Help us to remember his mercy. What he's already accomplished. And help us to remember what he's going to do. And give us hope. And Father, then use us in the lives of each other, that we might give hope, that we might encourage hope, that we might all together stand firm in hope. For more information, visit us online at southwood.org.